From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue and Smooth Operating Collectible Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are optimization strategies and Pokemon. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Dance break. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, speaking of breaks, <laughs> transition. <Yeah. laughs> uh, just when I finally learned how these work. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, um, it's pretty much our two-year anniversary. Yes. Um, Happy a birthday days to shy. us! Happy birthday to us! Uh, Happy been- birthday, nice dance club! <laughs> Happy birthday to us! Uh, am, I, am I okay to go now? I mean, you can try. <laughs> Uh, so we've been doing this show for two years, mm-hmm. and we haven't missed a week. Uh, yes. I think when we started, we were like uh, not pushing ourselves too hard to like do an episode every week. Yeah, <laughs> um, but we haven't missed a single one. We've put out two in in uh, in some weeks. Um, yeah, and so in these two years, we've put out, including this one, 112 episodes Goodness. of the program. That's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason we're talking about it, you know, sort of summarizing, other than our two-year anniversary, is that we're going to take a little bit of a break. Yeah. Um, now, don't worry. Uh, you're still going to get new episodes each week. Um, they're just going to be old new episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a new listener and you're, like, wondering how to start on this 112-episode backlog, yeah. um, we'll pick each pick some really good ones that we like that you can listen to and remember if you've heard them before or uh, enjoy them for the first time. Yeah. Uh, our audience now is probably about four times larger than it was in the first six months when right. we were doing it. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of people who are current listeners who haven't heard some of the older episodes um, just because who wants to dig that far back? <laughs> um, but we'll do it for you. And then we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll each pick a couple, we'll introduce them and talk a little bit about why we liked them. And then uh, play them back for you. Um, and that's going to be for the next couple of weeks. Yes. We're not exactly sure exactly how many weeks, but it'll be at least a month. Um, and why is that, Stephen? Uh, because we are all working on Widget Satchel now. We, we pulled Martha in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we've decided that uh, we really want to get Widget Satchel finished up. Um, and we wanted to take some time to uh, finish that up uh, in the coming weeks. Um, and we'll talk about it when we get back and tell you like the whole process and why we decided to take a hiatus on uh, Nice Games Club to get it done and like how it went and our struggles and not struggles and such like that. <laughs> struggles um, and not struggles. That's the, <laughs> the best way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll do some some on the spot recording of of meetings and stuff like that. <laughs> We're the, oh, I can't. Well, talk. Martha, you just promised it. So. <laughs> well, I'm now I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring the task. Cam yeah? recorded to okay. some of our work days. You mean and a task microphone recording so I don't have to be on camera? It's not. That's just that's just the brand. Is yeah. that? Oh, they have this <laughs> microphone? Task Cam is like the Kleenex of portable recorders. Oh, it's okay. uh, it is actually a Task Cam, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's just the name you usually you give to. A oh, it's recorder. not a camera. No. No. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's the, I don't know. What it, does it stand for anything? Is it short for anything? No idea. We'll do some research and get back to you in a couple weeks. <laughs> All right. Not that uh, I've promised too many things, but yeah. But you know, we've talked about on the show before about like side projects and what it takes to be motivated to keep doing them. Yeah. And we've always talked about Nice Games Club as as all of our side project. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't be our main thing because otherwise we wouldn't be valuable as hosts on this program. <laughs> and so, uh, Widget Satchel being another side project for for most of the people on the team. 
um, we thought we'd uh, we'd just muscle out nice games code briefly. But I think I think it'll be really fun for yeah. listeners to hear some of these old episodes and get some of our new takes on them. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'd like to think uh, that it's going to be a win-win. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, hear people's discussions on old episodes because like we have a larger community now and we have places where like that's people right people talk about the show now in a way they yeah. didn't when we started and so it'll be cool to hear some of those yeah um recycling mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i'm like there's one episode where we uh there was too much content to fit in one episode so i broke off a little part of it to and that will uh will release that as like a little bonus in there so you oh, won't yeah. have too many weeks of no new episodes right a little bit of uh original content yeah. uh, squeezed in there <laughs> that an oasis of original <laughs> content <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but in the meantime, though, for uh, this week, uh, you've got a whole brand new episode to dig into uh, before yes. we take the time. Um, so I guess we'll start with... It seems <laughs> like we're, when we're taking a hiatus, it's because we're optimizing our workflow. Okay, okay. <laughs> on Widget Satchel. You, you really got to get those in because it's going to be a while before you have the chance I know, again. right? <laughs> that one was a little rough, but... <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, it's my topic, optimization strategies, and it's something I've wanted to talk about on the show as a topic for a while, um, but we've brought it up a lot in other topics we've yeah. done, which is just ways to work better. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of this is going to be code, but some of it is going to be um, like works, workflow optimization. Yeah. And I don't, it's not an exhaustive list. It's more about a couple of, a lot of examples that sort of get you in that mindset. And so we'll talk about some Unity-specific things, because I think that's certainly most of the uh, people who listen to the show are familiar with Unity, but it applies to other uh, frameworks and, and coding styles That's as well. a good question. Are, is our community mainly Unity developers? That's I a guess good point. A I, lot of us are Minnesota developers and we mainly use Unity, right? I'm making an assumption yeah. based on sort of like uh, the general development community, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know that for sure. Actually, you should get back at us. Uh, send us a tweet at Nice Games Club. Yeah. Let us know if you use something other than Unity. Yeah. Because I do sometimes and I, I always lament that like, Unity is like 90% of yeah. what people talk about and seem to be in front of all the time. And I know, Martha, you've become less and less a fan of Unity the more you use it, right? Well, mostly because there's a lot of things where people, like, I will be confused on a thing, and then I will go on the internet or somewhere and be like, how do I do this thing? And then, what? <laughs> <Or a> mistake <laughs> going on the internet? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's always a mistake. But... <laughs> but um, most of the time, people will, like, especially, I see here, event something something i still don't understand how those work mm-hmm. and all the tutorials that i found were like just use the event system i'm like I, you, no one has explained what that <laughs> means ever there's definitely a chicken and the egg <laughs> problem with unity where it'll even some like general programming concepts unity handles it in just a slightly different way where it's like oh normally with 10 percent of the problem you can solve by using this built-in unity thing do that and you're like which 10 percent yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so it's not yeah it's not always great um, okay, well, let's get into it. Yeah. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is, uh, 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 especially for, for game developers, and this is true of Unity, but it's true of other frameworks as well, um, using update loops. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a thing, update loops are like the heart and soul of a game project, yeah, right? It's some yeah. th- code that runs every frame. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not, but most software doesn't work that way. <laughs> uh, but games almost always work that way. Right. At least they work that way for most of their components. And I think when you start developing in uh, libraries and frameworks that use update loops or that have them built in update loops, and uh, Unity is one of them, but also it's true for, I mean, even going back to Flash development, like based on the timeline, like it was all, you'd run code on frames. Like mm-hmm. just the, the metaphor is, is, exists everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but the trick is it's really easy to start to run a lot of code you don't need to run. 
And so one of the things that I've been doing a lot uh, that I've brought in from other, wor- other work that I've done in other frameworks um, uh, is as a pattern, not as an ability, because Unity can do this, of course, mm-hmm. uh, is using a- event systems. Yeah. Uh, or not event systems, rather, but events. Right. Event systems is like a whole different thing in Unity and Martha, you know, that's the thing they tell you to use and what, what is that? <laughs> um, I mean, it's a similar, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, events are basically, um, uh, um, uh, function calls or functions that you, you, uh, or it's like a list of functions. Yeah. And you add, you can really add, uh, additional functions to them. And then you have things that listen for the dispatch of this event. Yes. And then when the event is dispatched, then all of the functions that you've registered to the event will run. Yeah. And what this is really great for object oriented programming because it's a way for um like classes to talk to each other without actually talking to each other. Um it's basically you take a megaphone into the park square and you say like, you know, uh, uh here's a thing that happened. Yeah. And all the people in the park that were listening for that thing, then they then do what they do with that information. Right. You as the person with the megaphone, the person who dispatches the event, you are not running that code. Mm-hmm. You are just saying here's an event and then everyone says upon that event I do this yes. so everything is still properly encapsulated and that's a thing you'll hear a lot when you're doing object oriented programming is that you want each bit of code to know as little as possible about the rest of the code and events are a way to do that in a way that is architecturally sound but also is a little more efficient than just running a loop and checking for like a boolean to like see if something's going to happen yeah. or not yeah. or to have a, 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 a class that has a reference to another class that you have to feed it and then just like says that class dot function mm-hmm. like that becomes really dependent then well what if you change i mean you can refactor and change names that's not a big problem but what if you change the design of that thing what if you say i don't want to run this function i want to run this these two functions instead well then now you have to go back into the other class and and, and it gets and really complicated and, yeah. but if all you're doing is listening for that event then you can handle all of the behavior upon when that happens within the the class that hears it yeah. um, and other classes that hear it as well. So a great use for this is um, in our game, we have a, 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 an event called on checkpoint mm-hmm. where when, our, when Sprocket uh, reaches a checkpoint in a level, um, um, it, it, it does some stuff with the save system. It saves all the data that, that needs to save, right. but it also sends out a, a, a dispatches an event called on checkpoint and things that listen for that are um, uh, our bots, the enemies, um, widgets, pieces of junk, all of those things, all the rest of the stuff in the game that the sprocket character, the checkpoint object, the level object, they don't actually know or can directly access those objects mm-hmm. without a really complicated like structure of like references. Right. Um, all of those objects then said, hey, sprocket reached the checkpoint. I'm going to take this, this information about my current state and I'm going to register it to the save data object so that it can save it to disk. Yeah. And uh, you do it kind of in a, a, a bottom-up kind of approach that yeah. way. Uh, because the save data object can be, is something that is static and is referenced by everything. So that's a case where instead of saying, have references to all these things in the save data object, you have reference to one thing in many objects. Yeah. I mean, it does the same thing, but it ends up being less complicated architecturally. Um, and I've, you know, I've gotten into... You know, versus update loops all the way to like how you structure your code. Mm. But that's the thing about a lot of these techniques is that they serve two two functions, two purposes. Yes, I want to uh, bring up that like I think we talked about this during our vengeance mm-hmm. code comment episode, but uh, we also used events a lot. Um, well, we didn't exactly use them for optimization explicitly, but yeah. I used them uh, to like we have you know we have augments in the game where you can uh, change your ship and change how it affects stuff and things, mm-hmm. and you can like attach yourself to a certain object so, or a, a certain event. So, like, uh, we have an on-shoot event where, like, the player shoots or yeah. a bullet comes out of their cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
then uh, and I've, I've heard that's what shooting is. <laughs> I do want to make a distinction <laughs> that there's like the pressing the button shoot. And then there's also when a bullet comes out, because you can just hold the button down and you're still technically shooting. Oh, I see what you mean. When a bullet comes out, sometimes something has to happen. Um, So then like when this event is called, then like the augment can attach itself to it. And then like maybe, I don't know, uh, increase that bullet's damage by 30% or something. I Mm -hmm. don't know. Numbers and such. Uh, That is another thing. I also want to make a shout out to coroutines. Uh, This isn't exactly related to events, but like. You'll uh, notice I did not put coroutines on this list. Uh-huh. I got you covered. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> um, I like coroutines uh, specifically for things that need to loop, but just for a period of time. So, like, if you only need something to loop for three, like, three seconds or something, yep. a coroutine makes way more sense than to take a Boolean, put it in an event, or put it in an update loop. Right, right. Because um, then that code will just stop, and you won't have to deal, it won't, like, come up again. So, it doesn't have to run after it does its thing. Right, right. And the, the the advantage of coroutines is that that they do they do that mm-hmm. they, they're independent of the update loop. Yes, but they run every update. Yeah, right. At least in Unity, they don't run. I, when I was putting coroutines together the first time in Unity, I was like, the way this code looks, it looks like it just runs this function over and over and over again until the time is up. But that's not what it does at all. It runs it every frame, once every frame. Yeah. Um. It, the syntax does not seem to reveal that that's the case, but that is how it works. Um. And so, like, it's nice, but the syntax is a little hairy and a little strange. And, uh, I mean, you get in the habit. Yeah. But I, I prefer, I've built something in Widget's Hatchel. And because we're, Steve and I are both working on it, it's a mix of these things. Like, all <laughs> yeah. whatever, you know, the, I guess the main thing about optimizing your workflow is whatever works. Yeah, right. right. Um, but I, I use a, a timer class. Um, and um, uh, Unity doesn't have this built in, but this is something I'm used to from Flash. Which has a, a just a a, a first class citizen class called timer, mm-hmm. where you create a new timer object. You say how many milliseconds will it run, how many times will it run, and what function will it run when it's done, or on every tick of the timer. So, um, so we have um, a timer. So I built, I rebuilt this class um, in in C sharp uh, for Widget Satchel, um, and other people have built very similar things. You can find uh, a lot of free code online for this. Uh, it's not built into the Unity API, which is very frustrating, mm. but it's really nice because you can say, run it twice a frame or four times a frame or once run this code once every three seconds or only run a piece of code after three seconds. So you can, it's fully customizable um, and you can pause the timer, you can restart it and all of that. And so um, I prefer that structure over coroutines because coroutines have kind of a very rigid thing of what you can do and it's still running code every frame. I mean, yeah. Which, you know, it's, it only runs it for a while. You don't have to store a Boolean and then just yeah. like have it, you know, not do anything most of the time. So it's definitely better mm-hmm. um, having a series of coroutines than putting a, all of your code in update. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's, yeah, I don't know. I think there's like a lot of really like fair and healthy debates about what's better. Uh, and, yeah. the, and better is, is like better for like, does it run faster or is it better for, is it easier to build, easier yeah. to maintain? Mm-hmm. Those are all uh, things you should think about. Uh, when you do this sort of stuff um, and decide what you care most about in the moment. So one of the things I just did is that we have um, all the all the, the checkpoints in Widget's Hatchel. The, the level needs to keep track of them be, um, uh, for reasons. Yeah. Um, and so we just have a, a list um, uh, or, or an array um, uh, on the main level controller object, which just keeps track of the all the things. And because there's only like at most, you know, between two and four checkpoints in every level, mm-hmm. that's something you just manually manage, right? 
But it, 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 I was testing something where I just added a checkpoint right next to another one just so I could run back and forth between them to test something. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't working. And I was really confused why. I was like, oh, right, because I have to add it to that list at the beginning. So I'm like, I'm just going to like make that something that just searches for checkpoints in the level. And it uses a very slow function to do that. Yeah. Uh, find objects of type or something like right, that. Right, yeah. And that is inefficient from a programming perspective or from a, a runtime perspective, but it's much faster for me to build the thing. And it's in frame one of a level load, which already it takes a long time. Already frozen. So the, the, the overall performance of the game took a tiny hit so that our work can improve. Now, when we're done with the game, we could reverse that optimization that workflow optimization mm-hmm. but i don't think we're going to no and it's so not a big enough of a hit for it to right it, it matters more to me as we build it than it's going to be for the rest of time when players load each level that right. extra one and a half milliseconds probably it's going to take mm-hmm. um so yeah you, your priorities are different in as you do these different things yes yeah uh so that's uh through the first of my big list of the things <laughs> so we'll see if we can tear through these a little faster um, one of the things I've I learned recently in Unity specifically is a function called onValidate. Now, um, a thing that, that I've done in, in Widget Satchel, and you've seen in the code comment for Widget Satchel, if you go back and look at that, mm-hmm. is uh, this script called AutoSnap. And it's a thing uh, to make level editing in, in Widget Satchel easier um, so that every, um, every time you move an object, it, it snaps it to a grid, basically, of your, of your defining. Now, the way I built that was uh, by uh, checking in every update now it's an editor script, so update only gets called when you when something changes in the editor. Um, I think even if you just click in the space of the editor, it'll call it. But it's not every frame of the editor. Yeah, running. right. So yeah. it's more efficient to, to use uh, update uh, uh, code in an editor script. Anyways, mm-hmm. but um, it turns out there's an even faster way to do it, which is called on validate. Um, now it's not going to work for transform objects because they're a separate object and that's a Unity problem. Mm. But on validate is a function that is um, you put in a, in a, a, a mono behavior and it runs. Um, when something in the inspector changes on that component. Yeah. So it's what people use it for generally is if you have a, 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 a number box that you as the developer know needs to be values between 1 and 100, but you don't want to use a slider or anything. You want to actually just let people enter in numbers, paste them from a spreadsheet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't want people to enter invalid uh, numbers. You can say, well, on validate, check that field, and if it's not, not correct, either... Uh, revert it or change it to the upper bounds or lower bounds of the valid numbers, maybe even throw a warning. This is great for when you're designing your code and then you're handing your project to level designers who are not going to be working on the code. So on valid, that's why it's called on validate. It's meant to validate variables. Another fun thing you can do with it though is when you change, for example, in widget satchel, when you change a piece of art, you say, this, uh, this, this art tile is going to be style A, which is a certain kind of, a, a, a certain sprite. Mm-hmm. But I want to change it to style B. So it's just an enum. That's just A or B. Change it to B. Then on validate runs and says, okay, it's B now. Now I'm going to go pull this asset and change it in the editor. Um, so you can use on validate for a lot more than just validating uh, 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 values. You can use it to actually run code. And it's great when you want to configure objects in your game. Um, and uh, if you look at the the code comment on Widget Satchel, I demonstrate a little bit of of how when you change these variables, stuff happens yeah. to the objects. But that was all using those update. Uh, um, uh, uh, it was all using update code. And the problem with that is that that runs every time update runs in the editor, which isn't as much as in the game. But with so many objects on screen and running all that code all the time, even if you haven't made any changes, even if it's just checking a, a boolean, can get really heavy. And so changing it to on validate means it only runs on the object that you're working with. 
and only when you change a, an object on it. it. It's not as easy to use necessarily, mm-hmm. but um, it made performance in the editor a little better. Yeah, that was really fun. So unvalidate using it for off-label use is something I definitely recommend. Yeah, uh, in Unity projects, and I just discovered that pretty recently. So that's pretty exciting. Um, what else we got? Um, to, uh, oh, another cool thing I learned. Uh, oh, sorry, you're gonna say that? Uh, I was just probably gonna say the next thing you're gonna say. <laughs> okay, um, I learned something like just two days ago, uh, and it's a C sharp specific thing. I think it's available in other languages, but uh-huh. not in any of the other ones I've used. Uh, a thing called static constructors, and a static constructor. So let's say you have a function or a class. That is like a, a game manager class or um, something that has a lot of static variables, yep. right? Or a utilities class that has a lot of static functions. When you call those things in your code, you call them by, you don't call them with an instance of the class. You call them by class dot whatever the static property or yeah. variable or whatever it is. Right, right. A static constructor, now let's say you have um, a list, right? Mm-hmm. And you define a list, but you also want to populate the list with members of the same class. So let's say you say, uh, in our case, we have, uh, so save operations. This is the static class I'm talking about. Sure, okay. Save operations is a class in Widget Satchel that is mostly, mostly has static variables for you to call, like save, save this uh, data slot, load this one, uh, delete this one. The problem is, is that um, you need code to operate on these objects before you need them. And so generally in the first frame of your project, you put like save operations dot initialize yeah. or something, you your own function that sort of sets up what you need to, to use for the rest of the thing. So we have a, an, a, an array called save datas, which consists of the save data, uh, the, the three save data slots and they're empty, but they need to all exist in that array mm-hmm. at the start of the game. Mm-hmm. And so you need to have a function that just adds them to that. Now that's great. But if you have a static constructor, and the way you do that is, uh, we'll put the link for the the the, the uh, Microsoft documentation, the, uh, the C sharp stuff. But um, it's just static, and then the name of the class. Um, so it's not public function or public void or any of that stuff. It's just static name of the class. It's very simple syntax, and then it's just a function. You can't give it any arguments. There's normal constructors right. you can give arguments to. Yeah. Um, in Unity, you almost never do, but <laughs> you can. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it, that code runs. Any time or the first time you access a member of that class. Um, so if you, uh, if, if we have a static constructor that, that puts all our save datas in our save datas array, mm-hmm. um, that code hasn't run yet when you open the thing. But as soon as you say save operations dot save datas, uh, you know, uh, index A or whatever, um, then it's going to say, okay, I need a static member of this class. Before I do that, I'm going to run the static constructor. Oh, then now I'll, I know what you're then talking I'll, about. Then I'll access that variable. Yes. And so I don't need to put anywhere in my code that dot initialize. Yes. Um, and what's nice about that is that you, because you don't know necessarily when that's going to happen. And what's great about it too is that when you're working in the editor or you're, or you're not going through your application when you're testing it from the beginning, because mm-hmm. if you only initialize things in the title screen scene of your game, then when you try to test your game from like a, a level in the middle, usually have, you need these helper scripts and these helper things to like do all that stuff. Right, yeah. But if you use static constructors, in, there are many cases where you don't have to bother with that. Yeah, um, um, we had some of that stuff in uh, Treasure Stack and my supervisor removed all of those in there because they were bad or dangerous or something for some yeah. reason. And I don't know, remember why. Well, it's still tricky because yeah. they only run once. Uh-huh. And so when you're, when you're relying on them for editor functionality, then um, the, the time it runs is in the middle of you working on your project. Oh, yeah. So it's not when you launch the project necessarily. Mm-hmm. So if you need to change those values and change how the, the initialization would work, then it can be kind of tricky. And this is a, a Unity-specific problem mm. because Unity, like, the thing about you, the code you write 
your C sharp code, that's not your application code, right? It's it's a it gets it gets compiled down to C plus plus, but like your code can run in the editor, and almost everything is serialized, and yeah. it's like none of it makes any sense. Um, but, <laughs> so things like that, mm-hmm. which are really good for if your project is just code, it's great, right? Yeah. But in the case of uh, of Unity, there are instances where it can it, that code can run way earlier than you want it to, uh, and then never run again until you like. I'm not actually sure what happens in some of those cases. You might have to close and reopen Unity mm-hmm. because Unity is the application that's running it. Yeah. And so that's the instance of it happening. Now, if it's initialization code that you know never needs to change, you know needs to run once sometime, then it's still a really good idea because you can you can bounce in the middle of a game or whatever. Right. Um, in Unity, but there are times when it can be a little tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, use with caution, I suppose. I guess there are instances when, like, well, if, for example, if you have a game manager and you have like a, a an instance an instance static variable, and that like you yeah. can use that to initialize something. If you don't have a game object that has a game manager in it, that could cause problems unless you make a game object that creates a game manager and then attaches a game manager to the component or to that game object. Yeah, and the tricky thing about instancing. So you're talking about singletons. Oh, um, which I think we'll just blow past because that's a whole other topic on its own. But <laughs> yeah. in the, a static constructor cannot register a class as an instance. Yeah, you can't say instance equals this in a static constructor. Yeah, because this is outside the scope of the static constructor. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. you need to put that in a, in a function that's not static. Yes, right, because it needs to run on that instance of of yes. the thing. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so if you're using a lot of singleton patterns, then static constructors could be something you replace the singleton pattern with. Mm-hmm. It's not something that can work side by side that efficiently. Yes, also don't use a lot of uh, of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you'll find you uh, the more you work with code, the more you find that like they're they're not always as necessary as you think. Yeah. Well, I mean, also it's your code, do what you want, but like Good point. <laughs> <laughs> but I've had hard, you know, hard time with singleton, so. Yeah but I bet you can use them better than I can. <laughs> uh, this is a fun one that uh, I always have to go in and like modify my project after the fact. Yeah. Is I, I always want to replace string literals with static constants. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And so a string literal is uh, just a, a you know, a cl- open, quote, open quote, close quote in your code, right? String, yeah. It's just a string that you have in your code. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, rather than, um, yeah, just, I mean, literally just as you type it into your editor, that's the yeah. best way I can describe it. Yeah. The problem with that is that that is not, those are not variables that if you need to change the, the value of that or change the name of it. So mm-hmm. string literals, uh, are fine in a lot of cases, but the way that they're bad is when they reference names of things like it rather than content itself. So yeah. if you have a string literal, that's like a bit of dialogue in your game and you're not going to localize and you're the only person working on it, then it's perfectly fine to put all that in the code sure, rather yeah. than maintain a, a separate spreadsheet you load in. Because as long as you have a spell check somehow, you're just it's just you It'll typing be, it in the same way. So that you're not fine. improving any efficiency by removing that. Mm-hmm. But if you have a string literal that is the name of a input action, uh, fire or jump, and then you need to call that, uh, you know, uh, whether using rewired or just the Unity's native input or any other input system in your other framework, mm-hmm. and you have an action, and then you feed it an argument, which is going to be a string, which is the name of the action. Um, well, what happens if you change the name of that action? You have to find and replace all of those instances. What if you have a similar variable that is a similar name, and suddenly your find and replace gets all caught up? So the thing I always do with these things is I have a class that has a ton of, of uh, static constants yeah. that are just, uh, and the, 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 um, uh, that, that are all just the, the, the names of the strings that I want. And then they have variable names. 
And so you can autocomplete them. You can feed your argument instead of a string literal, you can feed it a, a um, static class dot name of variable. And then it's very much going to be the, usually the same as the actual string. Um, the convention for this in a lot of languages is that you use all caps for string literal constants. Mm. Um, you can do whatever you want, but mm. it's nice. Uh, that's just a, it's a habit I have. Um, and that's really useful, especially for inputs. Now, the problem for like, um, you, for input actions and stuff is that there's usually like a rewired editor or a Unity um, uh, a settings area where you do have to manually type in all that stuff. So if you ever change it, you need to change it you there. Change it in one place, though. You need to change it there and in your class where you've declared all that. Yeah. But that's it. That's only. Yeah, it's still places. one more than you do in other frameworks, yes. but that's way better than the fifteen thirty you have to do in a lot of other yeah. places. Are there a lot of string literals on web development? I'm just like baffled by what you guys are talking about because, like, why wouldn't it be a variable? Mm-hmm. I'm well. Uh, that, that's ex- that's the exact right attitude. Is like, why wouldn't it be a variable? Sometimes it's not, and then and the 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 standard structures sort of lean you away from it. And it's, it's up to you to say, no, 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 it should be a variable. But in order to do that, you need to then register a bunch of these things in your own class so you can pass See, them. See, I don't really use languages that need classes yeah. or anything like that. <laughs> okay. I ah. use languages that are um, McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's about everything. So you just put all the things in the thing and yeah. then you do the thing. <laughs> PHP and JavaScript pretty much do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> What does McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's mean? Have you seen that meme? Oh, we're going to have like, to put that in the show notes. <laughs> uh, it's a triangle and the top of the meme it says, oh. the kids are screaming, let's go to McDonald's, McDonald's, yeah. McDonald's. Yeah. And then on the meme, the, the triangle of the meme, there's like three different answers that the uh-huh. parent could give. And okay. then you put whatever you're you're putting into that metaphor, you place it around the triangle to say how like much... how close to how the close extremes... Each thing is. And okay. there's one, which I have to find now, which I've had a really hard time finding, but it's all the programming languages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, one of the answers is... Um, we have food at home <laughs> and that is like C or something. Sure. Then, uh, and then one answer is drives into the drive through uh-huh. orders just a black coffee and then leaves. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third answer is the parent also starts screaming McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. <laughs> and that's PHP. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> I understand now. <laughs> <laughs> and JavaScript is, Totally off the chart in its own area where oh, it lives just in listen. McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> it lives in McDonald's. It serves you the food. <laughs> That's something else. Okay. Okay. So clearly web development is way different than how we were like approaching it almost. I well, mean, I'm going to have to learn all this because my new job mm-hmm. has, is in all going to be C oh, sharp. Yeah, Martha got a new job. Yeah, I got I a new job. brought that up. New meta. Meta, y'all. meta. <laughs> anyway, I don't know how much of this will be left in the episode. <laughs> but I'm going to have to learn all this stuff yes. because I'm going to actually have to be using C Sharp for oh, reals, for yeah. reals, oh. .NET, whatever. So I'm going to have to like, actually pay attention to static and not static uh-huh. and all this stuff <laughs> that I've managed to ignore ah, <laughs> for okay. a long time. Well, interestingly, a lot of the times these, these types of problems are usually framework specific. Mm. So like, the reason that we, have to, we talk about in Unity a lot is because input actions, you feed them a string literal for the action jump because you don't store that as a variable. You have that in a configuration file somewhere. And yeah. It needs to just check against it. Yeah. Um, where instead of a piece of code you've done. Also, animation state names. Pl- play 
dot play, and then you feed it a string, which is the name of a state that you've done in your animation. Yeah. But uh, and that is just you type somewhere in a dialog box rather than it being a variable. So that's those are all framework specific reasons why you would end up with a bunch of string literals all over your project. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's not a language problem exactly. <laughs> Um, but the solution is is pretty easy for object oriented languages because you can have these uh, static variables you reference everywhere, yeah. but don't clutter up your like main you know application script or anything. Like that. Yeah, um, it's extra code you write so you can do less writing later, basically. Um, but that's true of a lot of these things. Is like they're not they're, they really dep- sometimes you're never going to need these solutions. Yeah, right. Yeah, like optimization is different for every for different languages and different uh, frameworks. Mm-hmm. Huh. One of the things, uh, another Unity thing that we um, that I learned uh, from a- uh, Andy Korth mm-hmm. on our Verdant Skies uh, um, code comment episode is this thing he did where um, he has a class that has static or his serialized references. The class itself is static, and the, the serialized references that show up in the editor. Yeah, and then he feeds them a bunch of um, objects from the the library. Uh, or from the project p- pane, mm-hmm. so that all of his code has easy access to these pieces in the in the project yeah. without having to have references themselves that then you have to drag into the editor. Yeah, and that is the smartest thing I've ever seen in a Unity project. Yeah, we we do that too. When, yeah, and I we don't have any of that in, in Widget Satchel because we we're like too far built for me to come up with a perfect reason to use it. But uh-huh. like next projects, the first thing I'm setting up is just it's, list of stuff. It's super convenient. Yeah, <laughs> because then you can just yeah because I like. I want to. I I work better in Unity when I'm writing code than when I'm in the editor. Mm-hmm. In the editor, I'm always like dragging stuff around and clicking stuff and being like, "Why doesn't it do what I want it to do?" <laughs> Whereas in code, I can just do whatever I want. Yeah. And so I'm much more. I'm much happier working there. So the less I can, the more I can be out of the editor, the more I can be in, in my code. That editor. that's the, a good point because like I think that everybody is different too. So like yeah. uh, different optimization strategies will maybe even impede progress. For example, I prefer using the editor, yeah. the Unity editor, than uh, going into code. So I will. Uh, Frequently, like code things to the, uh, to make sure that I have to not go back to the code later on, um, and so that for me is a better workflow. So, like, I think it's like you got to make sure you understand uh, your different your particular workflow and what works best for you and what doesn't work best for you. Yeah, and how you work with your teammates. So yes. One of the things I didn't understand when we first started making Widget Satchel, but made more sense the more I worked with everybody, mm-hmm. is um, our main character has a bunch of uh, exposed variables in the editor that are like. Um, uh, like jump resistance and like and 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 uh, uh, timer cooldowns and yeah. all these variables that you tweak if you like you were making a fighting game. And I was like, well, because Lane and Steven wrote this, so like clearly it's probably where the, their attitude comes from uh-huh. with their, their numbers, background, <laughs> and fingents and all that. But the reason you do that is so you can make changes quickly and test them in the editor. Right. But for me, my instinct is just to have those variables in a class somewhere and just change them there. Yeah. If I need to change them, yeah. But um, but I I didn't I didn't understand the sort of the friction that that would cause. Right. If you do it in Unity, he has it has to recompile the code every yeah. time you do it, so it just takes longer. Right. I mean, that's literally the the, the part of it as well. It's just the it does actually literally take longer. Right. Uh, which I didn't appreciate at the time. Mm-hmm. But the thing I was thinking of is like, well, what happens when we're done? We've decided what these numbers are, and they just sit in there ready to be messed with. Yeah. And then they exist as serialized variables, which can be corrupted and scare the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Um. But the benefit is so much greater than I. Uh, assumed when I first got a look at that way of working. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to have as little exposed things in the inspector as possible, but that's because that's that's how I've worked in the past. Right. You know? Yeah. So yeah, you really have to think about not just like what type of optimization you want, but also like what not just your, your specific use case, but also like uh, working with others and like what their their use case might be, especially yep. if you're if you're working with members of the team which aren't doing the same things that you're doing. 
Yeah. Right. You have to sort of like imagine yourself as them. And what would be easy for them to use if they're going to be the ones interacting with this part of the program yes. more than, say, I am in the, the person who's building it. Um, this is particularly important if you're, you know, just building tools for the rest of the people in your project. Yeah. Which happens sure. a lot of times in AAA development, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, I mean, that's, we talked a little bit about editor stuff, editor tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked about it on the show before, and we talked about it earlier with this like auto snap stuff that we've done. Yeah. But there's two ways you can do editor stuff in Unity. One is you write editor scripts, um, which are specifically, they have their own API and they're specific for editor stuff. You can make extra panel windows. You can add things to the, the, the file menus. You can, you can really like tear apart and rebuild the editor any way you want. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can use a thing called execute in edit mode which is a tag you put on a class. Um, and we're going to have to put links for a lot of this stuff so you can search it on your own because it's not going to be easy to describe it all fully here. Yeah. So we're just going to blow by some of that. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a way for you to, ha- to run your, your scripts in the editor before you're hitting play. Um, there's, and there's a whole API uh, that's part of the editor application package. So you can say, um, it, uh, editor application dot is playing is a, is a Boolean that will let you know if the editor is playing or not. But of course, you can only check that um, if you're using these these particular packages, and those packages won't go in your final build. And so there's a lot of there's caveats to using this stuff. Yeah. But you don't have to necessarily use editor scripts. Which when people search, how do I make an editor script? They're like, I don't know what to do. You can just you can just use some of these this functionality in your own scripts. The trick is is encapsulating that behavior so you don't over encumber scripts with like the 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 play portion and the editor portion. Yeah. And that can be kind of tricky structurally designing. Yeah. Um, but it can be extremely useful uh, for certain things um, to get things done in the editor to make yourself work faster, particularly if you are building tools for the rest of the team um, or for, uh, for yourself, or if you're trying to build a framework that you can then, you know, say put on the asset store or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's Okay. Let's move on to working strategies. Cause I think we could talk about code stuff like forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I, but I think the, dead, I think yeah. the attitude is the important part yeah. is to like um, you know uh, generally try to run as little code as possible every frame um, try to run only the code you need to run and now of course your style is going to be different you can either write a big inefficient ball of spaghetti just to get your ideas on paper uh, to use a metaphor yeah. and then go and clean it up later or you can start working on thinking of those things a little ahead of time um, we'll talk about pre-optimization in a bit. Um, but people have different attitudes. I tend to be more of the thinking about it now instead of later. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to spin it out in my mind a little bit. That might mean that I'm a little slower in terms of like throwing up new ideas, but it also saves me a lot of time on the tail end. But that's not a better way of working. Yeah. It's just a different way of working. Right, so you'll right. find your own balance of that sort of stuff. Yes. Uh, as long as you get there in the end. Uh, is the really That's what's that important. Yeah, exactly. The game is out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that's why we're going on hiatus, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we can get this thing out. Uh, but just a bit about uh, um, some working strategies. I use a lot of file syncing. Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier before we started the show. Because uh-huh. uh, uh, um, we're, we're going to work on Widget Satchel today after mm-hmm. the recording. And Martha was saying, oh, I forgot, I forgot the little things I was working on. I don't have them with me, but it's okay. I don't need them. And I was confused. I'm like, can't you just grab them for wherever you sync and store all your files? And you're like, wait, what? Because <laughs> apparently I'm the only one who has like ready access to everything I've ever built in my entire life at my fingertips all the time. <laughs> I um, like the way you described it. <laughs> it takes some work setting up, but yeah. it's really, really useful. And yeah. like, I recommend people start thinking about how they might want to do this. Like, especially if you have a laptop, if you work with a team, 
you're, you know, you're going to go somewhere to work and mm-hmm. then you're going to go home or to your day job and you're going to have different machines probably. Yeah. Uh, if you're just a one laptop person and your whole life is on there, then great. Have a backup solution and you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my case, I have, a, I have a workstation at home. I have my laptop that I keep here at Glitch and use at my desk here. Uh, and then I, I work at other machines sometimes when I need to. And um, so I use OneDrive for syncing a lot of project files. I have a, a terabyte on there. You can get that with Google Drive or Dropbox or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's great. That's not going to store all your data if you have as much data as I do. Um, but I also have a backup solutions for I have a, I have a local a NAS server that backs up every night. And then I also have a remote uh, backup service. There's two uh, big ones, uh, Backblaze and CrashPlan. And they are they're not they're not like Dropbox. They just they just uh, they keep your stuff in a bunker somewhere in case your your apartment catches fire. Basically, that's the idea. Or the zombie apocalypse. It's not meant for syncing. You're not you're not meant to use that or go browse it. Although yeah. you, there are apps you can go and uh, uh, they have apps where you can browse your archives. Mm. Um, so I'm like backed up everywhere, but um, and I have access to my, my things. But things that are not in my file sharing or file syncing uh, thing, if I ever need that stuff on my phone and on all my computers, I have remote desktop. So any one of my machines can take a look into any other ones. Now, my phone is always on and with me, but my laptop's not always on. But my machine at home is, is a server, server class desktop. It's on 24 hours a day. So if I ever need a file, for example, if you said, hey, do you have any drawings from middle school you made in MS Paint? I could get that for you in, in like five minutes. We're, we're putting that in the show notes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes, yes, yep, please. We're doing that. That's happening now. And I, that, uh, <laughs> So there, how you set this up for yourself is different depending on what you need, for example. You may just need to like, Put your project into Dropbox or whatever, and then just, that will help you a little bit. Yeah. Um, but or you can have my attitude, which is just like always have it, everything you've ever done and touched available. Um, and it's it it now that it's set up, like there's so little. I have so little stress about that kind of stuff. Um, when I work uh, here, uh, when I work at Widgets on um, Widgets Hatchel here at Glitch, I don't need to push anything to the repo to keep working on it at home. Mm. I just wait for OneDrive to sync, and then I can just start working at home. Mm-hmm. Um, which also means I probably do fewer commits than I should. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Committing, you should probably just commit really regularly after you do something major. Just, yeah, know, just do it. Oh, here's a good tip that yeah. I, that I haven't put into play yet, but it just occurred to me was a really good idea. Uh-huh. Uh If you're using a like um, um, a, a GUI like Source Tree, um, or you're super good at the command line, you can selectively commit. Uh, instead of cl- committing all of your changes, you can selectively commit certain changes. Yes. So if you've done a lot of work on a lot of different systems in your game and you want to commit all of that, um, but you don't want to like anger your teammates who <laughs> want, maybe want to roll back or cherry pick a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you can just just make six commits just yeah. uh, uh, for each of the things you changed in whatever order makes sense to you. Um, of course you can do that, but it just occurred to me like, oh, that would solve a lot of the problems I have, which is not making enough regular commits when I make changes. And I'm regularly working on three or four things at the same time, Yeah, but they're not all ready yet to be committed. Yeah. So An additional benefit to that is if one of the six things you commit breaks, you yeah. can just go back to the things before it instead of this giant commit is all broken now. Yes. You can and you can revert specific commits. Yes. Although that can be tricky. But that it's, it's all doable. Be. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if you get Martha to show you how it works, then you can you can make it happen. Yes. <laughs> also, get Kraken's undo button is a lifesaver. Yeah. Ooh. There's yeah. an undo in source tree, but it's never highlighted. So I don't even know what it's good for. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. It's a good thing you're on the project so you can figure out our good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no uh, promises. <laughs> <laughs> Two other workflow things really quick. One yeah. is, um, I, and this is not good for code because mm-hmm. code doesn't work this way, but when you're working on art assets or documents or anything that needs versioning, mm-hmm. um, but you don't want to put it in a repo, you can put it in a repo fine. But for me, if I want to check out a version from three versions ago, 
I don't want to revert my, I don't want to keep a complicated system like Git for managing art assets. A lot yeah. of people do that and they find that it's useful, especially when they're working on a lot of teams. But for me, I just make new versions. I, I, I you know, um, very frequently I'll just update and I'll save my old files um, so I can go back and check mm-hmm. um, rather than, and the way I do that is I semantically date, I, I date all of my files. So, uh, and I just use a year, month, day so that alphabetically it shows up um, you know, in, in my file explorer. Yeah. And that's incredibly useful. I do this for builds as well. Um, I don't, uh, I, when I create a new build of a game, I'll date it and then I save all the old builds because the, those dates are also, they're semantic. They're like, oh, that was the date of that showing or that was a, it was a day or two before or after. So it was probably for that or whatever. Yeah. And they don't need to be very, they don't, they're, they're just names. They're not actual dates, right? So you can say, um, I'm saving a new version of this file. I'll give it today's date, but I'll keep it working in that file for two weeks mm-hmm. before I make a new one. I don't need to update the date. And then when I make a new one, I'll make, you know, whatever. Um, now, if I make more than one a day, which happens a lot, <laughs> um, I will give it a, 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 a suffix A, B, C, or D. And I use uh, a Starfleet Starship naming conventions where the first variation is the first version of the day is that uses the date. The second one is A. And then the third one is B. Um, because that's how Starfleet names their starships. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because if you if you went if you go right to B, then then you go, start go looking for A. Like what happened to A? Uh, yeah. Right. So, anyways, um, that's just a way I keep track of files. It's a way I, I never lose. I don't lose data that way. And then every now and again, I go in and prune the last thirty versions or something like that. Mm-hmm. Probably not that often, but mm-hmm. I do it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, last thing I do is uh, um, speaking of semantically naming, I semantically name all my classes and objects and variables. Um, we've talked about this on the show before. I know, I don't think I've gotten any pushback, but I'm a really uh, big believer in verbosity. Like just name your variable as long as it needs to be. Uh, no, do not use uh, uh, abbreviations. Don't use uh, uh, s- uh, suffixes. Don't use contractions. Just name it the thing you're going to name it. Yeah. Um, don't you, you know, if you have a, uh, if, like if you're naming an animation object, don't call it Annie. Like even though that is going to make some sense and it's not going to confuse you, it really is not extra time to type it all out. And so um, it, it, like I, I'm a very strong believer in just being as detailed as possible when you name so it. So I largely agree with you, Mark. Largely. Largely. Okay. But Min- minor fight. <laughs> <laughs> minor fight coming in. Fight, uh, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> but in the case of Unity, specifically, like if, you're li- if you like using the editor and you don't like, uh, and you don't like going in the code like me, uh-huh. uh, if you make your, uh, your, ver- your verbs, your variables too long, um, then they won't show up in the editor for like you won't show the whole thing. Like it, I don't, I mean, right? It'll, it'll, it'll cut it off at a certain. Yeah, point, if you're yeah. typing out sentences for all of your variable names, please don't do that. Well, unless you really need to, and you're not going to be really clear. I guess the only saving grace there, because yeah. you're right, you're absolutely right. Yeah, the saving grace there is you're not going to be writing out sentences for many of your variables. Oh yeah, yeah, and very likely if you're writing out a sentence for your variable, it's not going to show up in the editor anyways. But like. You should be conscious of that too. Yeah. Now, there's two other problems with Unity. One is if you want to change the name of a variable, mm-hmm. you will then lose your stored data if it's serialized in the editor. Yeah. There's a tag for that uh, called formerly serialized as, where you can put um, the old name. What? Yeah, I learned about this re- pretty recently. Okay. Um, and uh, you know how there's the tag. If you're familiar with with these, you can do um, like hide in inspector, or you can serialize a private variable. Those are the little tags in the square brackets. There's one you can put called formerly serialized as. Um, I think you need to import a package for that to work, but I forget what it is. It's probably it's probably like just system dot serialization. Sure. Um, I don't think it's a Unity package specifically, okay. but it, this anyway. If you form is formerly serialized as, then when you go back to the editor, 
it will recognize that. Mm-hmm. And then once it's once all your objects that you have that are updated and they're using the new variable, then you can delete that tag. Ah. Now, if you change the name four or five times, you can you can put these tags on top of each other yeah. in uh, uh, to formally serialize this 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 and that like until you have the right name that you want. Yeah. Um, and then it will it'll keep that ch- that continuity, and then you can get rid of them when you're ready to get rid of them. Mm. Um, it's very nice. Yeah. It's not a feature I've used at all. I just learned about it recently. Uh, mostly, I just rename things that I'm willing to re drag around in the inspector right um uh, but i i'm definitely gonna get in that habit now because it's gonna make me a little freer with changing some dumb names i've been wanting to change for a while <laughs> um i refactor all the time that's not something a lot of people do or like to do but most ides are very simple for that and so i'll name something what i need to name it because it describes what it does but then later that thing no longer describes it or i have something else that describes it better and then this is more of a subset or any other reason i always want to keep track of renaming those things as soon as possible so I don't get I don't um, I don't get used to a name that's not correct, um, and I'm willing to deal with the fallout of that, which means saving a bunch of other files or dealing with the inspector. Yeah. But having formally serialized will benefit you a lot if you're like me and want and are sort of churning that all the yes. time. As a result of that, though, variable names get changed, and I'm like, what the heck is this thing now? So <laughs> uh, that's totally true. Yeah, right. <laughs> Because you're not following that same path of right. logic that I am. Yeah. But that's the thing. That's why I name them semantically. So you can just read what it is and you know what that means. Right. <laughs> Unless you're looking at it in the editor, then you're like, what? you're looking at half of the variable. Yep. <laughs> yeah. The other thing the Unity editor does, which is very annoying, is uh, it, it, it renames your variables so that they're like human readable, mm-hmm. which is so annoying. Because like, for example, if you put, uh, if you have like, um, if you're doing something for like a PlayStation controller or using any of the PS4 libraries and your library is PlayStation with the P and the S capitalized, like how the brand guidelines tell you to, yeah. then uh, Unity is going to separate that into two words, play and station. It's yeah. like, give me a break, Unity. It also removes underscores from the beginnings of, of, of variables. Mm-hmm. It capitalizes things. even you Like it thinks it's smarter than you and it drives me crazy. I, I like it. It's another reason why I don't like the inspector. Like just, ah. it should be named what it's named and not named what, it thinks the human re- like a different the, version of it. I think that like the inspector tool is really meant for like game designers who don't really touch the code very much. Right, but how many people? The people there's there's never someone who only touches the code. That's what I want to be. Someone who or I don't want to be the one who only touches the code. I want to be the person who only touches the editor. <laughs> so that's why I don't, I want all my stuff. There are those people. Yeah. Yes, I want to be the person who just reads the thing and doesn't yeah. have to touch the code if I could. Right, but I I, I named it those things for a reason. I know, <laughs> and I know. it changes them. It all makes sense. It super doesn't. Anyway, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, that's pretty much it. There's one piece of software I wanted to talk about. Um, there's a couple you could sort of go, but uh, I didn't, didn't have too many mm-hmm. uh, for a Unity workflow. But one is a, a it's a, a app called Texture Packer. Mm. Um, it is uh, basically it's, it is what it sounds like. It makes your your texture atlases for you. Um, the reason I like it because Unity does have its own texture packing system. So a lot of what a lot of people do is they just take all their PNGs, dump them into their project, use them as they need to, and then they'll run the texture packer on on build. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes builds t- it a little longer, but not by much. Um, and it's nice and convenient, works just fine. I use texture packer to pre-create uh, my texture atlases uh, or my sprite sheets rather before. And the reason I do that is because in texture packer, um, the pivot point alignment and nine slice tools are just way better. In Unity, they're very annoying and finicky, and I hate them. Um, but Texture Packer is a really good one, and so it's a little bit of overhead in some ways. I just like the workflow a little better. So we'll put that link in the show notes, and uh, it's not a free app, but it's worth the money. Um, that, uh, the, the company also makes um, uh, 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 texture illuminators. They can help you make normal maps for 2D sprites, so you can do cool shadow effects. 
Um, it's it's a really cool uh, uh, company makes a bunch of really cool apps. So, but Texture Packer is the one I like for Unity workflow. Uh, not for everybody, but it's good for me. I do. I make a I make all the art and widgets Hatchel, and I'm always I'm getting it all out and like dealing with the 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 uh, um, uh, choosing the alignment or pivot point in a sprite in Unity is just annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not it's not good. I guess it's gotten better, but anyway. So Texture Packer is a great app. Uh, I guess that's kind of it. We can talk about pre optimization a little bit. Uh, uh, I was just gonna say you don't always need to optimize your things. All the time, yeah. Because like sometimes that just slows you down, right? Uh, I mean, like it's good to make sure that mm-hmm. your game is running well and like you have a understandable workflow. And if you're like, if something is clearly slowing you down and you want to fix that, then like optimization makes sense, yeah. But in other cases, it also you know it like being const- constantly concerned about whether or not your game will run well or whether or not this is the fastest workflow possible yeah. will actually slow down your workflow significantly Absolutely. in a lot of cases. So I just, I just want to caution uh, listeners to, you know, take all of our advice, <laughs> but, you know, use it the, uh, the best way for yourself. Yeah. I really want to hear Martha from you because the things you work on in your day job, uh, at least when you're doing web stuff, a lot of that goes live either immediately or very shortly. And so you have to deal with that idea of like, this needs to, this is going to have customers pretty soon on a much faster turnaround and more iterative process. Mm-hmm. So what do you do to optimize your code? Like, do you just sort of barf out the first version that works and then fix it later? Or do you, yes. do you oh, okay. <laughs> you, you don't Unless ever like, I have more time. You don't ever struggle with like, can I make this a little better? And like, you, you just, you don't have a lot of time to do that really. Unfortunately, no. Yeah. At least in my experience so far. Yeah. It's been like, this has to be done today. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you then go back and, and sort of optimize things that are out? I mean, is, or let, this is real bad because yeah. all my answers to these questions are not great. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, if I have time, uh-huh. I usually don't, in, yeah. at least at my old job. We'll right. see at my new job. Most of web development is working on stuff that other people have worked on yeah. is really the thing. So right. ah. I've optimized other people's code. Right. Ah, sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> you had no other choice, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and also just because legacy code is legacy code. Right, right. But, um, which no one can avoid. <laughs> but yeah. I'm thinking about what uh, Freya was telling us. Uh, Freya Holmer was our guest uh, a couple weeks ago and said that like uh, Unity tutorials Will or like tutorials will tend to like the the rigid correct way to do it, mm. and that can give you kind of the wrong impression. And I hope listeners t- take the like a lot of what we've been talking about the same kind of way, where like if you you know if you can't quite get it optimized or like follow all the best practices, that's fine. Yeah. Because like Martha's saying, you don't have a lot of time to get it right, but you can still be pretty successful. <laughs> like you can yeah. still, it still works, right? Right. Um. Yeah. You can. I mean, be like Martha. <laughs> it's just general good advice. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be the very best. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> no one ever was. <laughs> to catch them is my real test. To train them is my cause. <laughs> <laughs> I will travel across the land. We're doing the whole song. Searching for our so. mind. Yeah, we just yeah, have to get yeah, to yeah. the Pokemon part. Oh, okay. <laughs> These Pokemon. To understand <laughs> the power that's inside. Pokemon. Is the topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is my favorite part of this episode because i just get to sit back and not say anything <laughs> yeah spoiler alert mark doesn't like pokemon it's not that i don't well, that, he, I, just, I just don't get pokemon he, yeah he didn't grow up with pokemon and right? i i feel that if i the, if i in, 
delve into it, I'm going to not like it. So I kind of just keep my distance. Good the, call. What? No. <laughs> I think, no, I mean, like, I, I don't think you would like Pokemon. <laughs> a lot of numbers and stuff. Just, yeah. Yeah, a whole lot of that. And, uh, but there's also very cute things. There are very cute things. There's split on that. <laughs> <laughs> they do have robot Pokemon. See, that's the thing. It's like, I look at that and I'm like, maybe I'm really into it. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like it's a trap for me. Yeah. Lure me with robots. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pokemon Red and Blue are 20 years old this year. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, the original Pokemon games in Japan came out in 1996, oh. but we didn't get them here until. 1998, I guess. You're saying now minus 20. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now reading the Wikipedia article on Pokemon instead of actually talking about it. Okay, so um, it was created by Satoshi Tajiri and Ken Sugimori. And uh, Tajiri came up with the idea because he really liked collecting insects when he was a kid. Mm. And he wanted to have a game that um, invoked that fun of collecting um, and learning about new creatures and stuff. Cool. Um, and one really cool thing I was, I watched a cool video about um, how they came up with Pikachu because Pikachu is kind of like the mascot of all the Pokemon, but right. they didn't really start out thinking that that's what it was going to be. Um, they just told one of their, one of the artists um, who is actually a woman, which is cool. Atsuko Nishida. And they just said, make an electric Pokemon and make it cute. And she's like, okay, I really like squirrels. So I'm going to make one that looks like a squirrel. And so she did. And then, and then they're like, well, we like mice better than squirrels. So it's going to be a mouse now. And she's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so the name Pikachu is Pika is the sound an electric spark makes in Japanese and Chew is the sound a mouse makes. Right. Yeah. Just add them together. Mm -hmm. Just now I've learned why. Pikachu's tail is, looks like that. <laughs> Did you not? <laughs> How would I know that? Yeah. <laughs> it's an electric type. He, he wouldn't have known that. He wouldn't have known that. He, the whole like <laughs> the whole thing of like if you've seen a- anything of Pokemon, uh-huh. it's Pikachu shocking somebody. It comes out of its cheeks. I, I I've never seen that. Just <laughs> I know there are ghost type Pokemon because I just know the weirder types because people talk about them louder and more annoyingly. Wow. And so I know that there are a bunch of weird types. I assume there are also regular reasonable types. There are normal types, yes. Yeah. Literally, Literally just it's types. called normal. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like generic animals, mainly. Uh-huh. Or things they just couldn't give a type to. So they just give them normal types. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Haven't they changed some of the normal ones to have like other types? Yeah, with um, them? Uh, I don't remember the exact Pokemon game that they did added this, but this was a balancing change they added in. Um, there used to be a whole bunch of different types, and one of the types is Dragon type, and it was always like the best type because like there was I think there wasn't enough Pokemon that countered it or something. Mm-hmm. You know how Pokemon works is sometimes beat other types and blah blah blah. Uh, weaknesses: it's rock strength. paper scissors. It's rock paper scissors, but with types. Um, and so dragon was one of the really powerful ones and it, it like could not, uh, I don't think there was enough, it didn't have enough weaknesses. So they added in a fairy type and a steel type and a dark type. I thought you were going to say, so they made nor- normal type do really good against it. Ah, no, they didn't. They just added a fairy type and they changed some of the older Pokemon to be fairy type Pokemon instead mm-hmm. of normal type Pokemon. Um, and those beat dragons. 
I like I I, I I like Pokemon, but I don't actually like the I don't actually like the games that much. So I don't play I don't fuck pay attention to a lot of them, especially nowadays because I don't mm-hmm. watch as many cartoons as I used to. Uh, but I learned that fact, which was pretty <laughs> neat. Yeah, we'll link a type chart. Because um, yes. one, th- one thing. Because it needs a chart. It does need a <laughs> There's chart. There's so many charts. It's so great. Look, here's the chart. You can see which Pokemon do well Whoa. against each other or which ones do half damage against the other ones if they're weak to it. You were not kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually kind of wild because Pokemon is, uh, you know, a lot of people consider it like a children's thing, especially because the cartoons, you know, are marketed towards children and mm-hmm. all the cute animals and things that you see. But like, I don't know any children into Pokemon. The only people I know into Pokemon are like 28. Oh, well, okay. We did grow in. We grow <laughs> yeah. up with it. Um, but like my little cousins are into it. Yeah. They, okay. lo- they want Pokemon cards for Christmas and mm-hmm. stuff. So even back in the day, though, Pokemon was extremely complicated. Yeah. When you, yeah. Like, <laughs> if you like go to there are Pokemon tournaments and if you go to those tournaments and stuff, you have to like breed your Pokemon in a certain way and you got to make sure that you do it at a certain time or something or save at a certain time because it's very likely that you'll get this Pokemon in the wild grass that you find Pokemon in so you can get so you can breed more Pokemon to raise them to be like a fighting good fighting type things. Yes. Yeah, this is the nature's the yeah, IVs nature's and the EVs. IVs and EVs. <laughs> I don't think we're gonna get in the details on that because that's too complicated and I don't understand it. Uh but those are things that exist in Pokemon. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry if I chattered your uh the <laughs> your idea of Pokemon if I brought those up to you. How many Pokemon are in the games now? Um uh, a hundred or eight hundred and nine. There are eight hundred and nine. <laughs> they started at one hundred and fifty. Yeah, and to me, there's only like two hundred and fifty still. Yeah. <laughs> Do, um, does that include the variations that they added in the the new ones? Um. Well, like the dark Meowth or whatever. You the know, I one? don't know. Okay. Um. I just looked up list of Pokemon on Wikipedia and it says <laughs> and you're still scrolling. <laughs> yes. Oh no. Um, no, but they have a, a list of Pokemon generations and it says that uh, sun and moon, they added 81 new Pokemon. Okay. Um, and that's what happens every time a new uh, release comes, they add a certain amount. Yes. Do they, does it just make the total number bigger in that game or is it those? It doesn't. Uh, no. Most of the time you see only the new Pokemon and some of the older ones. A few yeah, of they the pick ones. a subset of the more popular okay. older ones and yeah. put them into. Um, is that just because that's the design choice or is that because like the Game Boy could only hold so many <laughs> like sprites? I, th- I think originally it was because the yeah. Game Boy could hold only, I think some of the design constraints were because of the hardware at first, but now like. Now that's part of the. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, now, now they ha- they. I mean, it just would be weird and not balanced if you had all of them. Yeah, I'm like sure some of it would take were ridiculous or something. Uh, and also, you can get access to all of the Pokemon in the newer games. You just mm-hmm. like have to trade them somehow to get to them or something. Uh, the reason why Pokemon has two different versions, Red and Blue, and X and Y, and Moon and Sun, is because. Uh, the game developers wanted to encourage players to play with each other and trade amongst another. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you got red, you would each get, have a different subset. Yeah, yeah. So, if you got red, you wouldn't have access to all the Pokemon, and you got to catch them all. Uh-huh. Got to catch them all, Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I've you, heard that. <laughs> <laughs> so you trade with your their friend who has Pokemon Blue, mm-hmm. or like if you know you're a true elite player, you have Pokemon Yellow. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> Pokemon Yellow was the one they made after the TV show came out. Yes. And, um, 
and because the the TV show focuses on Pikachu, mm-hmm. they wanted to make a game that focused on Pikachu, right. and Pikachu follows you around, not in his Pokeball like the one in the show. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you can like uh, you can turn around and talk to Pikachu, and the more you play with him, the more Pikachu likes you. In the beginning, Pikachu's like, "Oh, I can't stand this guy." <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna follow him around anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then like later, you get little hearts. Pikachu loves you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big draw of the game for me now, especially <laughs> that you can, like in the newer games, they have these, uh, like you can interact with your Pokemon more like a pet and like, mm-hmm. like groom it and give it stuff. Yeah. They're more than just numbers now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, they're always, they always had an emotional attachment. That's why Nuzlocke runs. So there's a way of po- play- playing the Pokemon game where you, um, if one of your Pokemon gets knocked out in a battle, it dies and you have to let it go yeah because normally in pokemon that is not the case yeah you can just heal them in their back um so so that like we'll link to to griffin macro's nuzlocke run of course they'd have uh, a nuzlocke run <laughs> so emotional <laughs> <laughs> um long live miss beegman um <laughs> uh yeah but in, in addition to the rpg games there's been lots of other like spin-off sort of games too. Um, Pokemon is like so prolific in in its games and also in everything else that goes along with the games and merchandise and shows and movies and the number of Pokemon that there are. Um, some of the notable other games are they made this these games called Pokemon Dungeon, I think, and where you got to play as Pokemon in the wild. They're, yeah, they're mystery dungeon games with Pokemon. Yeah. yeah. Is Mystery Dungeon a genre? I think it is. They have like Final Fantasy versions where you play as a Chocobo and stuff like that. Oh. I I don't play them. Is this a case of a Japanese game they have to introduce to Americans by slapping a a license that Americans will like? That might be it, yeah. (laughs) That's how I played Puyo Puyo for the first time. Oh, yeah. Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean. Oh, right. (laughs) And I was like, wait, there are more of these games? Yeah, that worked on me too. (laughs) So I played Mario's Pacross. Oh, yeah. On Game Boy. (laughs) Yep. Oh, those Japanese, so clever. Yeah, I felt that twice. <laughs> Glad I did. Yeah. Um, there's also Pokemon Stadium and Pokemon Coliseum, mm-hmm. which were for N64 and GameCube. And basically, you got to battle Pokemon against your friends. Yeah. Um, it was like in 3D. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there wasn't like really a story. Well, I think Coliseum had Coliseum, a story. As far as I understand, Pokemon Coliseum was like its own thing, and it it wasn't like Pokemon Stadium in that like you battled with. Oh, I think you could battle with your friends. I yeah, but like Pokemon. But there's Stadium, like the dark thing with the guy with the yeah the, with the, that could like control your Pokemon or something. It was I don't like know. so Pokemon creepy. Stadium had a bunch of mini games and stuff, and I played when I played Pokemon Stadium. I mainly played the mini games because I'm not that much into Pokemon, and mm-hmm. the mini games were really fun. Yeah. Um. But then Pokemon Coliseum came out. I was like, Oh yeah, Pokemon Stadium, but like on the GameCube. Yes. And then I get it, and it's like this narrative and story mode, and I'm like, What is this darkness stuff? I don't. What is this Pokemon? I don't even know what this is. And I just. Uh, I love how it still surprises me when you when you bring up narrative. You bring it up in that tone. <laughs> narrative. <laughs> Like, but, that, but that's great, Stephen. Oh, right. You don't like it. <laughs> Not, I, I mean, also, the Pokemon games don't have good stories. Yeah. Just going to say that now. Address your letters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought that the, the environmental messages of, of Pokemon Sapphire and Ruby were kind of cool because, like, it was the two bad guys instead of being Team Rocket, who are usually the bad guys, it was, it was a, uh, 
two groups that were trying to either cover the whole world in oceans or dry up all the oceans, depending on which version you got. <laughs> sure. <laughs> they all want to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Team Rocket is the original one, and they were like, I just want to control the world with Pokemon. So they effectively just wanted all the money. Um, and then I don't, there's that one where one of them wants to dry up all the oceans or not dry up all the oceans. And then like the newest one is like, I think they're all just like gangs or something. And they just want to be recognized as humans. So wait, that one's kind of relevant. I don't, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) They're weird, but yeah, they don't do a great job with the narratives. That's what I'm going to say. Yes. Also there's Pokemon snap. That's a fun game. (laughs) That one's been wildly, widely seen as like one of the best Pokemon it's games. A cult classic, mm-hmm. and that, that's still a spinoff, though. Yes, right. Yes. So uh, what's it's just sort of like you wander around and take pictures, right? Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's it's like a shooter, except you're not killing anything. You're just taking photographs, and you're trying to get like the best photograph. Yeah. Um, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. We can link to it. I I just watch Polygon all the time. I'll link to it in a Polygon video where they talk about Pokemon Snap and why it was so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people wanted that as a mode in Pokemon Go. Yes, it just that, seemed natural. Right? Yeah, because you're want in Pokemon Go, which is the 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 phenomena uh, <laughs> that swept the nation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the on on mobile phones. Um, but, where you just find Pokemon as you walk around, um, it would make perfect sense to just try to take photos of the Pokemon like on your house or yeah. whatever. I think the, probably the reason they didn't put that in is because the AR in that game is garbage. But you know, all yeah. those uh, the it was before AR Kit and AR Core came out, so maybe the I mean we'll see. But it seems like it's more possible now to make that a good mode than yeah. it probably was when they made that game originally. Oh, definitely. There was Hey You Pikachu. Which was an N sixty four game yeah. where it was basically kind of like a Tamagotchi, sort, but not really. It was like you just talked to po- to Pikachu, right? And there was yeah. like a TV thing. I always wanted that, and I didn't, you had to buy a separate thing because you needed a microphone, and N sixty four didn't have a microphone, so mm-hmm. like I never was able to play it because I couldn't find the microphone. They had it at Blockbuster. Did it like plug into the expansion slot on the controller? I think it did. Like yeah. a little, like, uh, little uh, gooseneck microphone. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yep. Cool. Was, yeah, and then you could be like. Pikachu, and then Pikachu would turn around and look at you. Yeah. Uh, at you. I never had it, but I, I also always wanted it. Yeah, <laughs> Pokemon. There's po- there's a game called Pokemon Channel where you like watch TV with Pikachu. Wow, I didn't realize how much of a thing I had with Pikachu. I think I had a pretty strong attachment to Pikachu growing up. <laughs> but yeah, like like yeah, um, you could just watch uh, channels with Pikachu and stuff, and that was really cool because they had little funny channels and stuff, and it had a really uh, great going to link to and not sing because I don't want to butcher it people <laughs> speaking of cool themes um, there was like multiple CDs made of just Pokemon songs that people did like I mean, the probably. Um, there was one that we listened to still called to be a master oh from the from the original yeah <laughs> it's got like the team rocket rocking song yeah oh, pretty great <laughs> we'll link to that too thanks so much to know. And of course, the poker rap. Yes, you got to have the poker rap. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, Can I get a little bit of that from either of you? Uh, uh, I used to know a, some of it. Yeah, they rap about all uh, what was originally 150 Pokemon, 51 Pokemon, because uh-huh. there's Mewtwo at them. Pokemon! Too bad Prime made me out. Onyx! 
Geodude, Rapidash, Magneton, Snorlax, Gengar, Tingala, Goldene, Spinroll, Weezing, Seal, Gyarados, Slowbro! I could have super guessed that. Oh, <laughs> okay. I don't remember the thing. What was the break? There was a break where they Was anybody here them. to say anything? What was any? Oh, <laughs> no, no one was there to say anything. <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but I mean, it, it wasn't much better than that. Uh, yeah, I don't remember the whole thing. It's okay. good, though. It's good, though. I swear. <laughs> you know, now that I think about it, when uh, Glitch was more of a student group, we used to like play the, <laughs> the Pokemon rap um, when we were at like lounges and stuff. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, our lounges were just new. People would come and play games and hang out. And so they would sometimes just play the Pokemon rap. <laughs> it was fun. Nice. Yeah. And I still don't remember any of the lyrics. They said Pikachu, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, Pokemon has it's it's so prolific now. It has spanned movies. Uh, it's got games. It's got TV. It's got. Uh, you watched mostly the show, right? I mainly watched the show. I mean, I played Pokemon Yellow and I tried Pearl, and then I stopped because like just, I don't like Pokemon enough. Uh, <laughs> the games, anyways. But yeah, I I mainly watched the show and stuff. The show is still going, by yes, the way. It is and Ash is still ten. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also weird, because like, why are you letting your ten year old boy run around catching Pokemon when these Pokemon are like legitimately extremely dangerous? Yes, <laughs> like he's died, almost died multiple times. Uh huh. <laughs> and Ash's mom was just like, "Keep going, honey. <laughs> You'll be fine, Mister Mime." Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, that shows. Don't strange. forget to change your new know what. <laughs> <laughs> They're very pretty formulaic. In the show, I always thought when I was a kid that because Pokemon started as games, that the games were better than the show, and then because Digimon started as a show, it was better than the games. Oh, as a show, yeah, yeah, ah, sure. I mean, Digimon was also cool, but I mean, Pokemon is clearly more popular, so <laughs> <laughs> it won. The, it won the war. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one other thing that was I really liked doing that when I was a kid was collecting the trading cards, um, and I. Didn't, me and my brother sometimes played the game, but it was mostly for collecting them mm-hmm. and make like I still have my like I have a lunchbox full of cards and then a uh like binder with the card like card holders in it and they were all in order. Yeah. And I remembered when they added new Pokemon that, you know, went in evolution in order before the other one, I would like move everything. <laughs> so I'd spend multiple days like just moving cards like two slots over. <laughs> <laughs> cool but it was great and me and my brother also would make our own pokemon cards oh really i think i've talked about this on the show before oh yeah but we yeah. we would my aunt wanted us to stamp collect which like we were super not into because kids are not into stamp collecting <laughs> um pro tip um, but, the, <laughs> pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> but uh we still tolerated it because the, what the stamps came on were these like great pieces of cardboard that were just the right thickness that they wouldn't break uh, <laughs> with multiple like use of the cards mm-hmm. that we made out of them and also were like thin enough. Like, yeah. They were just the perfect texture and perfect shape to make Pokemon cards mm. with. So that's what I would do a lot. Um, we also had like all the little Pokemon figurines. Like you could buy a little. Oh yeah. Oh, those are the best. Those were the best. And I was really into Sculpey clay at the time, so oh. I would make my own with oh. Sculpey clay. So when you say make your own, did you like literally make your own Pokemon or just make Pokemon you really liked? Pokemon I really liked. Ah, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I, have you ever tried to make your own Pokemon? I've never tried. To you make know? Them. I don't know. I think I did try a couple times because there were like t- 
type combinations that don't happen. Yeah. Oh, Ava's here. Hi, Ava. Hi, Ava. <laughs> <laughs> um, Glitch's executive director peeking in through the window. Yeah. <laughs> she heard Pokemon and had to appear. Yeah. Of all the people I know, she's the one who's the most into Pokemon. Yeah, yeah she's really into Pokemon. You're saying design your own Pokemon. And to me, that feels really simple. Just draw anything and give it a name. Yeah, we can do that. They have they have Pokemon who are keys, Pokemon who are trash bags, Pokemon is ice cream. So like you could just. <laughs> I was like, nothing would surprise me, but that surprised me. <laughs> the ice cream surprise you? Yeah. Got the garbage bag? No, I that makes perfect sense. <laughs> His name is Trubbish. <laughs> I like him. Yeah, yeah. So you literally could do it. There, this should be. Yeah, there's Pokemon of everything. Isn't it the case that the earliest Pokemon had different names in different location localities? Oh, yeah. But now, because it's such a worldwide phenomenon, they're all just called the same thing everywhere? Yes, that is the case. Yeah. Um, and in fact, and they said this in, oh, I don't have to describe it. They said it in the Nintendo Direct, the Smash Nintendo Direct, they yeah. named all of the different po- or the different characters based off of the names and stuff. And uh, uh, the Pokemon trainers, Pokemon, like they have different uh, yells depending on what language you're using. Yeah. So, oh. Which is pretty neat, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, like uh, in Pokemon, like they just yell their names because it's easy for. It, uh, I bet that was because like it was easy for kids to remember their names. Probably. Oh yeah, it makes a lot of sense because in the games they just do a generic or something. Uh, <laughs> Whatever Game Boy could make at yeah, the time, exactly. and it's, they haven't really updated those in no, the games, which is haven't. really weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's just actually the sound they make is that chiptune sound. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, <laughs> they like. I mean, I think they've updated them now, but I remember like playing games that. Were like, you on, know, on the DS or something. Yeah, and yeah. If they still meant that. Didn't that? I mean, the games even on the DS like looked like Game Boy games, right? It wasn't until more recently they even put 3D models in yeah. it, and even those, from what I heard, were not up to the standard of a of a 3DS game at the time. But like now, the latest ones, I think they've they're all in on really like updating all of their old tech debt and like making. But for a while, it was just like people just wanted new Pokemon. They didn't care about the games being yeah. better, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure everybody wanted to see their Pokemon in 3D, but like there's yeah. a lot of assets they have to make because there's, what did you say it was? 806? 800, 809 now. 809 I'd- Pokemon. <laughs> so, and I don't know if that includes the variations that they added of yeah. all the different Pokemon. So like there's so as many. So, as someone who's recently drawn 30 pairs of socks. Yeah. I can tell you, it's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that doesn't compare. Right. <laughs> Oh boy! Yeah, Pokemon's pretty great though. At least, at least the shell. <laughs> at least the show. What is this jelly jam jar product promotion thing? What is that? Oh, okay. So one of the most popular things around my house, okay, <laughs> which and our my friend Joey and Michael's house was um for a while they put Pokemon on like I forget what's the big Smuckers? jelly company. Yeah, Smuckers. Smuckers on Smuckers jars. They put Pokemon, and so we would eat all the jam mm-hmm. and then in one sitting <laughs> and then th- we used all of those as, as like cups later for juice and oh. milk and stuff oh, like, okay. like a mason jar kind of deal yeah exactly yeah, cool. um because why you can't throw away the jam jar with bulbasaur on it like it's true no yeah you don't want to do that so Wait, then, but if you wash it once isn't it ruined oh it was, it was the on screen the printed Oh, oh screen printed on yeah. there. Oh, yeah. yeesh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. And oh man, we I think we only have one left because they eventually 
got broken. But uh-huh. what we would do is we would have Pokemon battles against each other oh, at no. dinner. That's why where, they got broken. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right. Where you'd like you'd say what attack you're doing, and then someone would have to take you know a number of sips of the juice uh-huh. of. That. Oh, and then cool. once you got down to the bottom of your glass, you lost. <laughs> oh wow. That's great. <laughs> I <laughs> Which love that. I think my mom appreciated because it was like, then they drink all of their milk or whatever. <laughs> and your dad appreciated because it had proper game design elements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. That's pretty wonderful. I love that a lot. Yeah. So that, that was one of the best. Uh, I don't know if Nintendo realized that was a, a really great marketing tool, but mm-hmm. it was super great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just see like the um, the instant connection between a jar like that and the things you use to hold fireflies. Like it just the metaphor is pretty solid. Yeah. I don't know if that was a, at all part of it, but it's probably just the dump truck of money that went one way or the other. <laughs> oh, yeah. But <laughs> definitely. Oh, sure. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, so do you have a favorite Pokemon? Um, I like all the weird ones. I like that ice cream one. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, I like the weird ones, like the not popular ones, like like what's it, Magmortar, who's like a really ugly looking thing. It's a giant. <laughs> he's like a giant flame thing with cannons on his arms. It's nasty looking, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> and then like Octillery is just an octopus with like a cannon. Oh, yeah. I like him. I think I like all the Pokemon with cannons. <laughs> the artillery is one with a cannon on its snout or something and then there's fortress that has like cannons it's like a cloister not what's a cloister cloister is a what? shell oh, shell, yes. shell it's a shell thing but it's got cannons on its on its sides so things with cannons those are pretty great <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to look up online there's a Pokemon that I, I might be getting it wrong but it's like uh-huh. it's just a pile of cables and I'm like that's cool but every time I search for that they're like charge up your phone with these cables oh. Pokemon oh. Go are you talking there's Tangela that's a, a thing of vines just a bunch of vines. That's no, I'm fun. thinking of like a Pokemon I would find in my junk drawer. Ah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Well, there's one that just is like a ghost, yeah. but can inhabit any like elect. Like, Rotom. Yeah. yeah. Rotom. That's one of He's my great too. because when it inhabits an uh, appliance, it takes on the type that would go with that. So like if it, ha- it, if it inhabits a um, oven, it will be a, a fire type. Yeah. And if it's a uh, there's a washing machine. machine you can, yeah. And having a washing machine becomes a water type. Pretty cool. Uh, this isn't the one you're talking about, Mark Tangela. No. Mm, okay. I like that one though. <laughs> that one's just like leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh, you know we haven't talked about like some of the dark stuff about Pokemon. Uh-huh. This is probably yeah. The stuff, you may have already heard this stuff because I think this is the kind of stuff that people like talk about on internet all the time, Mark. Yeah. But uh, um, so like for example, there's a uh, cliff. Fable and what's the ghost the ghost variation? Gengar. Gengar, yes. So like I guess um um in, in the lore possibly like uh Fable's just a normal type. I think it's a normal fairy type now. Um but like it uh has uh, you know it's just like a happy go lucky Pokemon or something. And then there's this other Pokemon named Gengar that um is Gengar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that um that looks actually very similar to the Clefable Pokemon. Um but um, it's 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 like purple. It's a ghost, and it's a ghost Pokemon, it's a and it, ghost. you know it looks evil and all this other stuff. Um, and it's and its weight is just slightly under the um, the the weight of the Clefable. Um, and I guess in like lore or something, there's like a weight of a soul. Oh, twenty one grams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the uh, Gengar is missing twenty one grams off of the Clefable. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> And shoot, actually, there's like a whole lot of, um, there's a lot of those Pokemon things. It's some weird, creepy stuff. Well, um, even just the flavor text in the original, and like 
the the main games can be really creepy. Yeah. Like it's got like, like a grim fairy tale kind of vibe to it that yeah. you don't get from say like the show. Right, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. None of that shows up. So Well, some of it does. Well, I, I mean, mean there's they, the whole the first episode I ever saw was was one where the ghastly was like haunting this statue of this woman that that had died and oh. everyone thought it was Oh yeah. And it was really sad cuz yeah. the guy was yeah. Yeah, that's true. It was yeah. They do they do some of that kind of stuff, but it never, I don't think it gets as dark as at least in the games themselves. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. That's very true. Well, isn't there like famously, this is one I read about, which mm-hmm. is a Pokemon that wears the skull of its mother on its head? Yes. yes. <laughs> and, um, what's the name of that Pokemon? Cubone. Cubone. Yeah. Cubone. Yeah. And then, and the yeah, they wear the skull of their mother on their head, which is kind of creepy. And the weird thing about that to me is, I, I guess I don't know about Pokemon, but like that's a type of Pokemon. So there are a lot of them out there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a relatively rare one. I think so, yeah. yeah. But it's it's still, I always found that strange because there had to be a Cubone that existed that was not wearing the skull. Right, so it's just a regular cubone that didn't have a skull on its head. So where is that cubone? Like, I guess structurally, it's like the, from a storytelling perspective, something about like that is interesting. It's the idea that yeah. like the only ones that ever exist have that all have that same tragic backstory. Yeah, and it has a it has a fairy tale quality to it that like there's something otherworldly and bizarre about that being true. But I don't. I think that's just a consequence of their like weird design process uh, rather than an interesting meta narrative on storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's a Pokemon called Drift Bloon. Yeah, that, that's uh, what I was going to talk about. Yeah, that's a that's a ghost. Uh, is it wind? What's the air type? Flying type, ghost flying type. Um, and it like it's a balloon. It's a balloon, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, and it uh, wraps its uh, uh, its little strands around children and will take it up in the sky and then you know you wow. see it again. Terrifying. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that might have something to do with why I don't like Pokemon games as much. <laughs> Not into spooky things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do kind of find all of this stuff really fascinating, especially that they put all of this stuff in like what a lot of people would consider kids' games. Yeah. It feels like you could take the premise of any one of these weird ones, just make a horror movie out of that alone. Why haven't they done? They do creepypastas, but why haven't they made a horror movie out of this stuff yet? Like someone should just license that single idea and just make an unrelated horror movie with that premise. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah actually, yes. Very good idea. <laughs> so if Game Freak. Licensed Pokemon to you, or the Pokemon company licensed Pokemon to you. What would you make? Pokemon MMO. It's the first thing anybody ever thinks of. I think when they if Pokemon MOBA. Yeah. Oh, MOBA. Yeah. I think oh. I've talked about this before. Yeah, you have. I think. Oh. Uh, but let's hear but it yeah, again. But yes. yeah, an MMO would be great because then you could- then you just battle other people. It's just Pokemon, but you can battle other people. That's yeah. what Pokemon Go should be. But it's instead it's uh, not that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but how does this mobile work? Yes. Yeah, I mean, the Pokemon have four moves. Uh huh. So that makes sense. You got your 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 four moves of your mobile person. Sure. Yeah. And then you evolve when you go up levels. Okay. And the type thing would be what would be difficult because. Yeah. How would that translate into a moba that would make sense? Well, you could have it so that like electric types are like um the the well mobas are about lane control, right? Yes. So yeah. Wouldn't it be a matter of like watching the other player to see what type they're sending your way and then countering that. Yeah. I guess a little it would more be just strategic like, than a normal MOBAs normally are, but it could totally work with, with that system. They, I mean, they do that some in, in MOBAs now. Yeah. So that's why I was going to say is like, they have certain roles on, in MOBAs and like maybe certain types are best on, on particular roles. So mm-hmm. like a support type could, could be like the fairy Pokemon or something. 
and like those would like heal people and stuff. But like maybe your opponent sees that and then picks a ghost type, which I think counters fairies. Yeah, and that could and a ghost could also be like a support type. If you somehow. use that whole chart that Martha scared me with, <laughs> you could make the most complicated MOBA in history. Oh yeah, <laughs> Dang, be okay. awesome. I, yeah, I could I get behind yeah. that. I always wanted a Pokemon game that was like a fighting game, but we have that now, so I don't need it anymore. <laughs> Pocket or Pokemon? Pocket, Pocket yeah. tournament, yeah. Is it any good? I haven't played it. It's just Tekken <laughs> with Pokemon characters. No, right? if it was Tekken, I would hate it. So <laughs> it's not Tekken. So for the purposes of your ever playing it, we'll just say it's not that yes. then? Yes. Right, got it. <laughs> uh, there yeah. is a Pokemon game I would like to make. Oh, yeah. If I, ever, if I was given the license, I would make like a SimCity kind of Oh. You build a you build you build the village, and then, oh. you, then you have like the the forest where you can manage that. So yeah. you don't just build buildings, but you manage like you do uh, uh, agricultural uh, landscaping to like I don't know. It seems kind of like fun. attract different Pokemon. So or... I, I I don't really know the rules of Pokemon, but it just seems to me like I would like to build a house for them all. No, that, yeah, like yeah. A, a little apartment complex for like the the one that's a pile of magnets. Like, <laughs> like I just make a make out of plastic. Like, that's kind cool i like that idea yeah then all the stats and numbers which i don't like i would be much i'd be happier dealing with that as a data set if i if it was a if i had a different motivation for playing sure. just to have them all live together in a way which is yeah. like that's not a thing i want all games to do but it's that that appeals to me into like the city uh, uh planning type yeah things. so you'd make your own like pokemon city and depending on how you built it like that would determine the type of your city because every city has their own uh gym leader or whatever and that mm-hmm. determines they have like a particular focus of type, like there's a poison type. Gym I don't know about all that, but okay. I would definitely have a, as a feature of the game, yeah. building walls around the city to keep out 10 year olds. All you need to do is call it Pokemon yeah. Preserve. Pokemon <laughs> Preserve. Yeah, that's that's cool. I like that. I like that a lot. You could be the manager of the Safari. Oh, yeah. Isn't there a Pokemon Safari game or something? There oh, probably yeah. is. There's a Pokemon Ranger game mm-hmm. where you just, you know, make sure Pokemon are okay. And you help them with your helper Pokemon or something. Yep. Pokemon's oh. pretty great. That's that's my conclusion. <laughs> uh, oh, and th- some of the reasons why it's really great is that um, my mom has this theory is that uh, the reason why I got into bugs and so- like science stuff is because I've memorized all the Pokemon and what mm-hmm. types they were and like... Like it teaches kids taxonomy because like, oh, this evolves into this and yeah. stuff yeah. like yeah, that. That's true. That's really cool. It's a comes full circle then, right? Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, because it's back to bug collecting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I'd be curious so. to know. I mean, that's it's it seems it's true for you, it seems, but I it also sounds really idealized. I wonder how if that's a common thing or you're just like you just particularly grasped onto that part of it. Yeah. Um because you know, it doesn't sometimes things inspire things and then it's not always the intent. For, for that to come through that just becomes the catalyst but for you it was something that like got you into that I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if an, enough a lot of other uh, kids grew up with and developed those interests mm-hmm. uh, let us know yeah. uh, feedback at nice <laughs> but no, what is it contact nice club slash feedback yeah <laughs> yep. that's our show if you haven't already subscribe to nice games club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or a nice like us we really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. And email us at contact at nicegames.club. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice host, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until one day soon, we start again. Remember to play nice and make nice.
I'm sorry, this is not great content. <laughs> but uh, so we could probably cut this out. Yeah, probably. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.